0: Welcome to BFR Radio, a podcast dedicated to all things BFR. This podcast is proudly sponsored by sportsrehab.com.au where if you want to buy your own BFR cuffs or you want more information about the type of training or you just want more information, this is your one place to go. And I'm your host, Chris Gavillio. Hi everyone and welcome back to this month's episode of BFR Radio. Hope you're doing well and I appreciate you joining in each month on this podcast. And I hope that the content I've been putting out there has been really valuable for you. This month's episode is a solo episode. And I guess it's been 12 weeks or more in the making. And I really want to talk about a concept that's been in my head for quite some time. And rather than just talking about concepts and piecing them together over the microphone, I actually thought I'd take time out of my own training to I guess, put my concept together to see how it would go and how it would stack up. And it really revolves around this whole COVID shutdown period and the inability to get access to really good loads and really good weights because most gyms are shut down. A lot of people don't have access to good facilities out there. And I think when we think about this recent time, there's been all these strength coaches have been putting out this fantastic content and some of the content which sticks to mind in terms of what is going to help us for athletes. I think about a lot of isometric training in particular, Alex Natira had a great presentation called Flattening the Slope or Flattening the Curve, which is really about stopping the decrement in, I guess, muscular ability in relation to athletic performance so that when we're in this period of time where we haven't got access to lots of equipment, that we can somehow slow down the decrement in in human performance, which obviously then has a knock-on effect for decreasing the potential for injuries as well. So just briefly before we go into this, and I think as a strength and conditioning coach and as an athlete, I was really brought up on a diet of high-load lifting, and really that when you read a lot of papers out there, even in the BFR literature, you know strength is still king. And when we think about athletic performance and we want to look at what relates really well to jumping ability, uh, throwing distance and sprint time, you know, it correlates really well to those stronger athletes, not in all cases, but in most cases, as I said earlier, this recent COVID shutdown period, and there's a lot of people at the moment still in this predicament is, you know, they don't have access to the usual good facilities or their high loads. And a lot of people are now lifting at home. And I think once again, I can't plug this enough, but Alex Natira's presentation really shows you how you can take an athletic performance program and bring it into your own house. Therefore, during this COVID shutdown period, rather than continuing my high load lifting, which is a little different as I'm getting older, but I still like to lift as much weight as I physically can, I actually pause this type of training and try to put my concept together and deliberately experimented limiting the actual load I could lift to 40 kilos only. Now, that's a massive asterisk here. What I actually did do is because I thought 40 kilos just isn't enough weight, It not enough stress on my body to create the changes and, and to help improve or potentially uh, maintain what performance parameters I can do. So in particular, I thought it would be a great opportunity to bring some of the worlds of isometrics into my training. I would also add lifting bands and also blood flow restriction. If you're listening to BFR radio, I talk a lot about BFR at low loads, being able to help improve strength and also muscle hypertrophy in certain occasions. However, I do think in higher trained athletes or people with a higher training age that we need to find additional ways to stress the body because if you're really well trained, that perhaps 20% of 1RM may not be enough. So what I want to do is just break each component down and talk briefly about it. And then I want to then piece it together and show you how through my training program and my framework and the results that I actually got from the outcome of the 12 weeks of training. With respect to the components, the first one we look at is isometrics and there are a lot of great advantage with isometric training and perhaps underutilized, I think, in general as a strength coach. Briefly, their advantages are, firstly, that they generate high amounts of muscle activation. And in particular, this is really great because it leads to a more efficient nervous system to provide a greater potential to recruit muscle fibers. The second one is the effect of the muscular groups performed during the exercise are really joint-specific. Therefore, they can have a strong carryover to the sporting action of the athlete. It can also provide a better visual and kinesthetic memorization of movement images. So if you have an athlete who needs to have strength over multiple joint angles, you may need to train a larger range of motion through isometric training. The other really cool advantages are they actually require less time energy to perform. I know I've done a lot of these sessions. They're really quite quick. And lastly, they also require simple equipment. And in respect to what Alex does and what I do a lot of my own training in this block here is I'm using a tie-down strap. Go to your local hardware store, $10. You wanna make sure you get something with a high weight rating, something around 300 kilos and something that's quite long, at least three to four meters. And to be really honest with you, if you can afford it, I would buy two. Because sometimes when you're doing exercises at different joint angles, being able to have one that's shorter and one that's longer really makes the session go quicker again. As I mentioned earlier, Alex Natira has done a lot of work out there in terms of some really practical presentations of late. Flattening the slope is the one that he did most recently. The other person that I think you should look into is Yuri Verkanchansky. And look, in my opinion, they're both giving us the same message. When you look into Yuri Verkynchewski's work, he talks about two types of isometric regimes. The first one is called explosive isometric regime. And this is where the isometric muscular contraction has explosive characteristics. And it's executed to emphasize the speed of tension developed up to 80 to 90% of maximum strength. And now this is the explode when we think about the recent Alex Natira presentations that he's been doing. The second one is the not explosive isometric regime, and that's more about the grind and the build. And this is when the isometric muscular contraction is carried out in order to achieve a given magnitude of strength effort without time limits while maintaining the level of tension as long as possible. The other thing that Chansky encourages is combining isometric exercises with dynamic movements and resistance exercises. So a lot of his work in his textbooks that you will read is about adding external load into a push or into a hold. Another term that Verkinczynskiy uses is called the shock regime. The advantages of this type of training is it positively affects the neuromuscular system by increasing the motor neuron stimulations, intensities, and creates an elastic potential of muscle tension. And in particular, think of a drop or a depth jump. And this is a great example. Another area that I got some of my terminology and ideas from is actually Jay Schroeder's Long Duration Isometric Training Program. And this is my interpretation of it. And apologies if I've taken it and interpreted it incorrectly, But I felt that this really fitted in quite nicely into this whole program training concept. And in particular, there was three phases here. First phase was around position. And this is a more round, this isometric extreme hold phase where positions are held for long periods of time. The advantage of this it helps to develop the structures that are needed in more complex high velocity movements. It's also been reported to help assist with remodeling of myofascia and the lengthening of muscles. Therefore, I felt that this actually provided a really ideal preparatory phase for the athlete or for myself, leading into more complex exercises. And as the program progressed over time, I would use, actually use this as part of my warm up. Phase two is around absorb and that we're starting to talk more about plyometric type exercises. And this is about teaching myself or the athlete to absorb force in a really good position. The capacity for the body to absorb force in an optimal technical position provides that next foundational layer for the next phase where the body is required to produce force. And that's phase three, where I use the terminology called create. And the emphasis in this phase is to execute exercises that produce force as rapidly as possible. Concepts of rebounds and plyometric-based exercises are included in this phase. The addition of BFR in this program was used as a proxy for high loads. We know traditionally that BFR training with loads between 20 to 30% of RM has been reported to increase strength and performance progress across a variety of exercises and exercise modalities. Although the improvements are typically not as great as training with high loads, such as 80% plus of 1RM, BFR is actually well-researched as a training intervention, and I thought that it could provide a solution to athletes who actually don't have access to a lot of gym equipment. So therefore, I thought it fitted really well in this type of training concept. Other advantages are increases in anabolic hormone concentrations and activation of type 2 muscle fibers, which are advantageous in terms of our type of response that we're trying to get from our training. So in terms of the modalities that I'm using, I'm using blood flow restriction, isometrics using a tie-down strap. I'm also using lifting bands because I thought that the addition of 40 kilos may not be enough. So I'm limiting myself to 40 kilos, but I'm finding as much as I physically can, to provide the stress that I felt that I would need for some kind of performance. Once again, just referring back to Verkinczynski's work, is that he actually talks a lot about adding a lot of high external load in isometric pushes. So I took his work and thought, well, how can I keep adding more load? And I thought, well, even though people may have limited access to weight, I thought that they would be able to go and order some lifting bands online or at a local sporting shop. If we look at the training structure, phase one is around that traditional high load lifting. And that is typically what I would do week in, week out, month in, month out with very little undulation. I'd always be trying different variations of high load lifting, but that was pretty much high in my diet of strength training at that point of time. And this is for months and months leading into me moving into this new training concepts of isometrics and Low load plus BFR. Still use blood flow restriction in this period of time, more as a warm up and more as a finisher. But during my main lifts, I would take bench press, a great example. I'd be doing doubles, triples, fives, as heavy as I could go within my own limitation, and also be using partial ranges as well. So presses off a board, off pins, and same sort of concept using leg presses, single leg squats, and so forth for my lower body. I use the rest periods to superset with exercises that I felt wouldn't compromise my main lifts. So for example, in between my bench press, I'd be using that time for my long duration single leg Bulgarian squats. And by the time I perform both legs, I felt I had sufficient rest for my next set. So quality rest in between my high load sets. I think as I've gotten older, I probably don't have as much time as I'd like. So supersetting, I feel is a great way to maximize my workout time. With respect to my lower body training, if you've been following my videos, I have one good joint and I have another knee joint, which is healthy, but I can't push a lot of load through it. So in that case here, my left knee is quite good. So I'll be lifting heavy loads in a Smith machine doing single leg squats, split squats, leg press, single leg leg press, and I'll be using far quite heavily on my right side using low load. So using metabolic stress to my advantage. So I'm not stressing out the actual joint and I have longevity in my knee as I get older. I also included isometric training during phase one, but these were at really heavy loads. And, and I also train them at both ends of the muscle length. So at short lengths and at long muscle lengths, because as I said earlier, joint specificity is really important and I don't have a sport that I play. So I'm actually really just trying to train at all angles. So I thought, well, when I did my testing, that potentially that it would be indicative of a wide range of movement and I wouldn't be singling out just one kind of joint angle. So I completed phase one, which is my traditional high load lifting. I did some testing. I I then headed into phase two. Phase two was the start of my light load isometric SPFR. It was six week long and it actually coincided about two weeks into the COVID gym shutdown period. In particular, during this phase here, with the plyometric type work, I was using a concept of absorb. So I was building that foundational layer. And in terms of the isometrics I was building, because I thought that from a safety point of view, I didn't want to be going straight into the explode type of isometrics. Therefore, after phase two, I'd be doing that for six weeks. I would test and then I'd head into phase three, which was a continuation of the previous phase this was four weeks long and it was still included isometrics, low load. I tried to add as many bands as I could. I really challenged myself and obviously BFR. What I did here, the isometrics included the explode concept. Still did build in some cases, but i really tried to look at explode. That's really trying to, can I contract as fast as possible? And the plyometrics incorporated the concept of create, and that was about rebounds, multiple jumps, and also depth jumps and so forth. Now, when I was depth jumping on my legs, it was obviously on one leg, but I was also doing that in a push-up type position from my upper body. Briefly, I want to talk about the training program framework. If we think about how I put a program for each session, I could break it up into three sections. The first section was BFR low load. And this was all about maintaining muscle size and strength, thinking that perhaps The isometric work may not be enough for my muscles to maintain the size. Other advantages, obviously, using low-load BFR is around hormonal priming. And I actually thought it's actually a really thorough warm-up leading into the more intense isometrics. I really think no matter what we do with high-intensity training is that warm-ups are really important. Also, if we look at the weekly breakdown, I would be doing two upper-body sessions and two lower-body sessions. The second section of the program involved the isometrics, and that was the main part that I felt may have assisted with any kind of athletic performance parameters. Once again, the first block of isometrics incorporated the concept of building the force, so I would get used to the isometrics, and the second block incorporated the explode concept, as I was now familiar with the movements. I explored different joint angles, and external load was added through the addition of BFR and bands. Once again, all isometric exercises were superseted, and this is typically with a plyometric exercise. The third and the last section was all about ancillary strength that I felt was done to complement the body parts trained, but also included other ancillary exercises that I felt were important, such as adding an extra hamstring and calf work on an upper body day, as I felt that that's really good for the health of my knee. Now, it's all good and well me talking about these training programs and concepts. But putting my coach's hat on for a moment, I want to know, does this make any kind of difference to an athlete? Now, look, I'm of N of 1. This is a very small case study. So this results may be just totally related to me. However, it's still important to test to try and give an idea of what kind of improvements that I may be seeing. So with regards to the testing, I try to encompass as many different tests for both the upper and the lower body as I could with respect to the lower body. I can't load one knee with a lot of heavy load, so a traditional squat won't appear here. Firstly, looking at the testing from an isometric viewpoint, I looked at hip extension or a glute bridge using both one and two legs. And I also included a single leg hamstring test here as well. Quite lucky it worked to have a force plate, so I'm able to actually do these kind of tests. I added in some dynamic exercises And this included 10 pogo jumps, which I find is actually pretty good on my knee. And the two variables I look at here is contact time and flight time. And on my good knee, I did three single leg hops for distance. I feel that the three single leg hops were really important to have in there because as from a track and field background, these tests, although simple, have appeared empirically for a long period of time. So there's lots of great data. And a lot of athletic coaches actually talk about this as being a really good test to have. And the other advantage is you can do this anywhere at any time. Moving on to my upper body testing. The first exercise I included was a bench press. And in particular, I have a lot of velocity data across submaximal loads. And I've done this for quite a period of time. To be honest, I've had a feeling that my 1RM might diminish through this type of training because I'm not lifting that heavy loads. But I thought that perhaps I might see something with the lighter loads. And therefore, I thought that this might have some value. In particular, I monitored average velocity across 80, 100, 120, 140, and then 160 kilos. The more dynamic tests included a six kilo med ball chest thrust for distance and also a bench throw in the Smith machine using lighter loads of 20 and 30 kilos. And in particular, in the Smith machine, I looked at peak velocity and also peak power. Once again, just talking about the whole structure of the the 12-week program, Phase one was at the end of that traditional high load lifting. We tested and then in phase two was at the end of that six week light load BFR and isometric program where the isometric focus was to build into the contraction. And one thing to note here, this was in the middle of the COVID period. I didn't have access to the force plates and also the Smith machine. So I wasn't able to do the full gamut of tests. But once again, the advantage of having three single leg hops and obviously a six kilo med ball is that I could do that anywhere. And I'm actually quite lucky to have uh, an Elite Form portable system at home so I could actually monitor my bench press velocity. So, quite lucky to have that from Elite Form. And phase three was post COVID shutdown, we were back at work. So, I was able to perform the full gamut of tests as I had access to the force plate and also the Smith machine. The other thing to note here is is that I've been training for quite some period of time. And I thought that with the testing exercises, I actually had a high level of competence as I had done them in the past quite a lot. However, I ensured that during the training programs, I didn't perform the testing exercise to ensure that the results were a reflection of the training performed and not an improvement in the technique. The only exception here was the bench press, but that was only at 40 kilos and adding bands. And I actually added in pogos into my training program but they weren't maximal during the training block. My hypothesis, to be honest, I really wasn't quite sure. When I put this together, I had a feeling that at worst I could perhaps maintain some level of performance in my tests. But would I improve? I really wouldn't know because, to be honest, I've never lifted light loads like this before. I've done a lot of light load BFR in conjunction with traditional high load lifting, and that's maintained a level of performance or at times improved it. But this is something outside of what I would normally do. However, I was really committed to, to giving full intent in my session and doing as well as I could. So did this type of training make any type of improvement on my testing results? If we look at the lower body, we're going to start with the hip thrust or the glute bridge activity first. Looking at double leg, I improved from around 2,500 to almost 3,000 newtons. That was about an 18.5% improvement on two legs. The single leg left and right also improved from around 1,200 to just over 1,300 and had an improvement of around 11 to 13% on left and right leg, respectively. The single leg hamstring isometric exercise. And you probably would have seen this exercise done a fair bit out there floating around as a test where you'll be laying down with the leg almost straight and you're pushing down on the force plate. And I had some improvements on both left and right at around five to 10%. I was actually a bit weaker on my right knee, which is actually my operated knee that I got done about a year ago. And at the end of the phase, I was actually able to improve to around 600 newtons on both left and right. So that decrement actually got less as a result of this type of training. So really pleasing with that. The pogo jumps that was ten jumps, and the force plates or the force decks that I actually use then takes the averages of my best jumps, and I looked at contact time and flight time, and I actually used this a fair bit with the athletes that I train. I got no real improvement in contact time; it actually got worse from 0.18 to 0.19, but the flight time improved. From 0.41 to 0.46 milliseconds. That was a 12% improvement there. And look, that was probably more a reflection of perhaps the training that I did whilst I was actually doing the 12 week training program. If we look at the three single leg hops for distances, and the advantage once again here is that this test was really simple and I was able to perform that the end of phase two, although it was done on grass. With respect to the distances, I was able to jump. The interphase one was 6.76 meters and I improved at the interphase two to 7.1. That was a 5%. When I looked at, at the interface three, that's where I perhaps saw the greatest improvement and I improved to 7.45 meters. So that was a 10.2% improvement from 12 weeks of this type of training. And I was really pleased with that. Uh, really interesting actually here that when I actually jumped that attempt, actually felt really good. I took off and uh, I was able to connect and, you know, it was just one of those funny observations that as soon as I took off, I kind of knew that I nailed it and look, whether it was just lucky with my technique or whether it was the result of the train I did. I, I don't really know, but uh, quite pleasing to get that kind of improvement over 12 weeks. If we're now moving on to the upper body testing, the first one is the bench press. And look, these results was really interesting for me. And in fact, I was actually really surprised, especially considering I only lifted 40 kilos. Admittedly, I added as many bands as I physically could handle. But that feeling compared to the addition of external weight plates is totally different. In terms of the weights that I lifted, they were incremental. So I started at 80 kilos and then I went up to 100, 120, 140, 160. Overall, there's a lot of numbers here. Therefore, if you look at this globally, at the end of phase two, if we look at the 80 to 100 kilos, I had an improvement around 9 to 15% and actually had a greater improvement again at the end of phase three. So I was actually still able to improve my speeds as time went on, which is really surprising because I would have thought heading towards the end of that 12-week training period that I would have seen some sort of decrement. Then we move on to 120 to 140 kilos. And this is where I want to spend a little bit more time here. If we look at 120 kilos, I improved across all phases from 0.55 meters per second to 0.67 to 0.77. So the end of the phase three, I improved by 40% at 120 kilos. 140 kilos still saw a good improvement, not as much as 120. I went from 0.44 to 0.47 to 0.51. So over that 12-week period, it's able to improve almost 16%. Now, at this point here, the interesting thing that I want to actually really note or stress is is that firstly, it felt good in my hands. and felt great coming off my chest. If we move up to 160 kilos in both phase two and phase three, it was just too heavy. So I actually didn't lift. I actually unracked the bar and straight away, I knew that I wouldn't get it up. And because I was lifting at home, I wanted to be safe, so I actually didn't complete the test. But really surprising that with 12 weeks of just 40 kilos plus bands, 140 kilos on my hand still felt really nice. If we look at the med ball chest thrust for distance, the advantage here, once again, I was able to have a six kilo med ball at home, perform it on the grass. And what I saw at the end of phase two testing, I improved slightly by 3%. It didn't really feel great. Like I, I was able to see the improvements that I had in the bench press. I didn't really see that come across in the midball ball thrust. However, at the end of phase three, I went from 10.1 to 10.8 meters. So that was a 7% increase. And similar to the three single leg hops, as soon as I let it go, it just felt great out of my hand. So I think this highlights is that it's good to have tests you can take anywhere you go, no matter what kind of facilities or shutdown that you may be in. I think it's really important to also note that some of these tests are really technical as well. And so that the improvements we've seen may be as a result of the training, but also maybe just that over time that your technique is just improving and you're understanding the test a lot better. The bench throw, I looked at peak velocity in particular here. And during the shutdown, I didn't have access to the Smith machine and also used the Tendo machine as well to monitor my velocity and power outputs partly because it's a string machine. And I actually love the simplicity of this type of machine. You you put the load in and it um, spits out the number at the other end. So really quick and easy. If we look at 20 kilos, I improved my peak velocity 1.84 to 2.04 meters per second. So that's an 11% increase. And I also saw a 6.4% increase in 30 kilos. And I think those bench throw peak velocities were more reflective of the improvements that I mentioned earlier in the bench press. There we go. Some really surprising results and some concluding thoughts. If if we talk for a moment about the upper body from a performance aspects, the results were just surprising. I actually really wasn't sure what to expect due to not lifting heavy loads. And even more so, as I lifted using this type of concept for almost 12 weeks, you know, perhaps we a thought that at best would have maintained, if lucky, Talking about the upper body, the bench press, again, surprised me. And at 140 kilos, once again, the weight felt really good in my hands. I still can't get my head around that. And once again, 160 kilos, on the other hand, was just too heavy. This really just shows me if your metrics are governed by a one rm test, then you need to lift heavy. It was good having that portable at-home Elite Form system to test myself at the end of phase two. And this was a -a 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 really motivating factor for me heading to phase three to keep pushing this type of training and that I was actually on the right track. The med ball throw, as I said, took a while to see any change, and and I think that technique plays a large part in this test. The bench press throw showed really good improvements, and this was once again reflective of those sub max velocities as I saw in the bench press. With respect to the lower body, the isometric tests showed good improvements across both the glute and hamstring tests. I've actually done this test quite a few times using heavier loads, and I'd got very little to no improvements. So again, this was surprising. However, the earlier heavier load training where I saw little improvements did teach me that if I wanted to see improvements in my testing results, I really need to push these areas hard in my training if I want to see this type of improvement. The three single leg hops for distance only showed improvements after phase three. It's good having this test in as I was able to perform this whenever and wherever I wanted to. And look from a training Viewpoint, I felt the addition of the plyometric drop jump type activities during phase three may have been a good addition that resulted in this jump performance improvement. Similar to the med ball throw, I felt that I nailed it technically, which was pleasing considering I actually didn't practice it during this training block. Pago jump showed a very small improvement, and I include this test regularly with the athletes that I train and work with. And it can be used as a representation of neuromuscular status or otherwise known as reactive strength index. In hindsight, it would have been good to get a strength measure for the lower body. However, I just didn't. As I mentioned earlier, I'm limited somewhat to a single leg knee dominant strength test. And again, in hindsight, perhaps a single leg isometric push test would have been good in this scenario as I actually do have some data with my single leg iso push on my left knee. However, I didn't. I actually thought I had quite an extensive testing battery as it was. My final parting points here is that when we look at the testing, again, I think you the word surprising so many times, but I just couldn't get over the improvements that I saw during this period of time. However, look, I, I did push myself quite hard. From a theoretical viewpoint, it made sense to me that this could have worked combining the concepts of isometrics, BFR, and also plyometric training. However, if your success is determined by 1RM, this program may not be for you. Although with limited equipment, it's probably the best choice considering everything. If, however, success of your training programs highlighted by speed of movement, distance thrown and jumped, then this program would be of benefit irrespective of access to facilities or not. And in a lot of sporting settings, this may actually have a better transfer to actual sporting performance. And I think as a strength coach, my own evolution has really moved from one RM has its place as a strength testing parameter, but a lot of those sub-maximal velocities or the ability to measure how we move our body in terms of what we can jump, what we can throw, has just as much as importance as being able to monitor 1RM. And in some athletes that don't see big improvements in 1RM, being able to monitor velocities can actually highlight improvements in their training that you may not actually get if you're just looking at 1RM only. I don't have any sport at present, so I wasn't able to go out and see if it had a direct transfer to performance enhancement or maintenance. And I think that's the big thing is, as we do all this training in the gym, does it have any true transfer? So pretty hard for me to say that, but you know, I, I got some pretty extensive improvements across a fair few results. In terms of an overall session feel, I really enjoyed this type of training. And as I said, it was a real shift for me away from heavy load training. The session time was actually reasonably quick at around 40 minutes after I did my warm-up. And interestingly, I actually had no residual soreness and I felt that I could back up the next day feeling great and perform with the same level of vigor and energy. I actually had two days off on a Saturday, Sunday and I felt like I needed to do more and I could actually train more doing this type of training program. In comparison to my higher load lifting that I typically do, I definitely know that using near maximal loads, it's a lot harder on the body and performance can be affected the next day or, or a couple of days thereafter. And so when we think about when we're trying to then train athletes in a more practical sense, you know, if we're doing a high load training session and then we're taking them out to do their skill, they may actually be hindered from their strength training session. So are we doing them a disservice or their science says we must lift heavy? So I think overall, this type of training, I feel, is a real mind shift with respect to strength training and performance outcomes. As I alluded to earlier, my upbringing as a track field athlete competing in the throws events was to lift heavy. So even for me to not lift heavy during this period was a challenge in itself. However, the results at the end of it show that it's something that has real potential that we should be looking into. Now for high strength and power athletes lifting heavy, I feel still has importance, but these results give thought to another potential way to look at training. Also, these results are reflective of me, and this is a case study of one, and at my age, I'm a little bit older, may not be reflective of younger athletes, but I really wanted to highlight that these shifts in concepts and training paradigms can potentially highlight more efficient ways to train individuals. Hope you've enjoyed this outline of my training concept and my training program. If this really resonates well with you and you'd like to see some more information or you want to actually see what this program looks like on paper, let me know. I can actually write this all out. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's a 12-week challenge for me. And now I'm going to move on to my next challenge of actually, now that I'm back in the gym and lifting heavy loads, I'm going to take this same concept and add more load into it. So I'm going to see what my testing results are in another six to eight weeks time and then continually challenge my own mindset in terms of strength training and what we traditionally think would actually produce results. Also, if you know of someone who may benefit from this type of training or is looking for a change in stimulus, let them know about the podcast in particular this episode and also refer them onto my YouTube channel which has lots of great videos on how to do these activities but also my Instagram, which is at Chris Cavillio, which also has lots more training videos in different kind of formats. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll see you next month.